you would, please uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. We're, we're looking again, uh, as we did last week, at what we should do when Satan attacks. Uh, I told you last week that there is ample evidence that right now, because our church has recentered, we've refocused, we've redoubled our efforts in, in doing the Great Commission, doing what it is we're supposed to do as Christians, that Satan does not like it. And uh, VBS last week was uh, just a great example uh, that so many of us leaders were just like, what is going on? VBS was great, (laughs) but all of us, our personal lives, personal situations were a mess. And, And it dawned on us, Satan is attacking us right now. Satan doesn't like that we're doing this. And so our plan is just to have VBS every week to really poke at them. Now, um... We, we do need to know what to do when, when Satan attacks. It's a very real thing. We forget kind of that Satan and demons and spiritual warfare exist, yet the Bible is covered from, from front to back with Satan and demons. I mean, what chapter of the Bible are we introduced to Satan? Three, the third chapter of Genesis. Then you get to chapter 20 of uh, Revelation and you see Satan thrown into the pit, literally, cover to cover, we see Satan, his demons, spiritual warfare taking place, and so we need to know what to do when Satan attacks, but we need to know what that looks like, and so we're going to study First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 11 today, and have God equip us and train us for this spiritual battle. So if you want to read along with me in your Bibles, and it's up on the screen. First Peter 5, beginning in uh, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer again? Father God, would you show us today that your word is sufficient in training us for righteousness, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work, and that includes spiritual warfare. That our spirits can resist Satan, so that our bodies can do what we ought to do for your glory, for the good of others, and for our joy. God, help us today to to cling to you in obedience as Satan attacks, Lord. Help us to see your glory in this 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, 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 I'm going to say something, but I know that I'm, I'm in this group. Uh, some of you, again, may be skeptical or, or even scoff at the idea of spiritual warfare. Satan and his demons, you know, attacking and oppressing Christians. I mean, it kind of sounds far-fetched uh, in this materialistic, naturalistic uh, world we, we live in and, and what is preached to us uh, by the world. But let, let me ask you this. Are, are you walking in, in complete victory over sin? Are you living in, in, in harmonious, powerful relationships of, of, of discipleship and encouragement, building up one another? And are you regularly and boldly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with non-believers? So I, I just, I, I give you those questions. Because if you would say no or even eh to any of those, I would say that spiritual warfare is most likely happening in your life and you are not yet winning. <laughs> and, and again, I, I say this because you think about what Satan wants, what Satan is trying to do. The Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. And, and so what's he trying to steal? What's he trying to kill? What's he trying to destroy? Well, he, he, he wants to, to steal your worship of God. He wants to steal your obedience to God. And he certainly, certainly wants to steal and kill and destroy your witness of the glory of God that you would spread and put on display the glory of God for others to see primarily in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to mess that up. And so if you're struggling with sin, you don't have these upbuilding relationships that are walking in harmony. If you're not sharing the gospel, then it kind of sounds like Satan's thing is working a little bit. Now, again, I I mentioned this last week, but I I don't want to blame Satan for everything. I can be very sinful and apathetic all on my own, thank you. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just the truth. Like, my, my heart has been renewed, but I still carry around this sinful flesh. I still live in this sinful world system. And so, even if Satan and demons weren't a part of it, we would still uh, absolutely need to, to run to God. And many of these principles would still apply, but... The Bible, as I'm going to show you, makes it very clear that Satan is active. Demons are active. They are attacking, and they do want to distract us. They want to dishearten us. They want to do whatever they can to keep us from worshiping and enjoying and spreading the glory of God. Now, when we think about the attacks of Satan, we, we got to first think about, well, what, what would it look like? For Satan to attack. You know, I mean, growing up as a kid uh, on, on cartoons and stuff, I'd say, well, I know what it would look like. He'll, he'll, he'll come up in red tights. He has horns and he has a pitchfork in his hand. Like, there you go. That's, that's how you know if Satan's attacking you. You know, maybe you have uh, him on one shoulder and an angel on the other, and that's where the, the battle is taking place. Now, that's, that's a childish view. Um, but another view you could have is, well, 
When, when Satan is active, then you have demon-possessed people. And this is even biblically accurate to some degree. It's just not complete. Uh, but, but biblically, you might think, well, he, he throws people down and they convulse and foam at the mouth. Or uh, people try to, you know, bind them with chains and they continually break them. And, you know, it's like, well, okay, those things did happen in the Bible. That, that is real satanic spiritual attack but what we need to understand is that that's not the only way satan works in fact i would say in our western society where we like to just think of not think that god and demons and satan exist it seems like it works better for satan just to remain undercover and so this is why i think we struggle to even know we're in spiritual warfare and so this is the first thing I want us to see uh, from, from, from Peter's letter here, is that we need to recognize Satan's schemes. He's not going to show up in tights and, and a pitchfork. I mean, that's, that's just not in the Bible at all. I, mean, I guess he could. He, if he can show up as an angel of light, then I guess he could show up uh, like the cartoon version of Satan. But that, that's not generally what he does. And, and, and I think this uh, because of 1 Peter 5, 8 here. He says, be sober-minded. We talked about that last week, by the way. I want to remind you, be sober-minded doesn't mean don't be drunk, although that may be included. It means don't be controlled by your emotions. Don't let your emotions control you. You, you, you act outside of that. That's be sober-minded. The next thing he says, though, is be watchful. Be aware be looking. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I don't know uh, how much of this you've seen, but, you know, I grew up, again, not only watching cartoons, but also watching the Discovery Channel from time to time. And you, you think about a lion stalking its prey, you know, maybe, maybe stalking antelope out on, on the Sahara or something. Uh, is, is that lion just out there open in the middle, letting the, the animals see that they are a threat? Not really. Not, not from the, the versions I, I've seen. Um, it seems like more often they, as he says here, they prowl around. They, they, they go, you know, under the cover of the grass watching the flock you know, and, and then when the opportune time comes, they, they, they pounce, they, they jump on them. Now, it does say like a roaring lion, but I don't think that's uh, necessarily talking about the noisiness of Satan so much as his overwhelming desire to uh, devour. But th this is what we need to understand. Again, is Satan prowls around. That means he, he's hiding, he's sneaky. The very first descriptor of Satan in, in Genesis 3 is that he is crafty, he's sly, he's sneaky. This is what Satan does. And so he causes trouble in our lives, sometimes without us even recognizing the threat, recognizing what he is doing. And so what I want to show you um, it, just, just to paraphrase, by the way, 2 Corinthians 2.11, we need to make sure we aren't ignorant of Satan's designs. 
that we aren't outwitted by him. Second Corinthians uh, 2.11 talks about that. Like we're not ignorant of his designs and so we won't be outwitted by him. And so that's what we need to do today is understand Satan's schemes, understand his designs to distract, dishearten, and get us to stop spreading the glory of God. Now, before I get into this, I, I want to I mention something. Eric and I were talking about it in prayer meeting on, on Wednesday. Suffering is not the only way Satan will get you. Pain, it can be effective, but so can prosperity. Prosperity can turn you away from God. It can distract you and stop you from doing what you're supposed to do just as easily as pain. And so I, I do want to mention that, that um, we are mainly going to look at suffering today, the way Satan uses suffering, hardship in your life. And then I also want to mention this. My, my goal today isn't to list every possible way or even the worst ways Satan can make you suffer. Rather, I, I just want to show you the most common ways that you may not recognize. I, I, I fully believe that Satan, under God's dominion, under God's reign, can put us to death even. I mean, that, that's part of what he can do. You say, how, how do you know that? Well, Job's children died. Servants died. This is all Satan's tactics. And then what about Jesus? Like Jesus was nailed to a cross and that was Satan inciting that. You know, he put, um, he, he came upon Judas to, to deceive him and he was working all through that. But what I want to show you today is that that may not be where you're at today. That, that, that death is looming uh, from, from Satan's schemes. But there are some very normal, seemingly normal um, trials that we experience that Satan very well could be a part of. And that's what I want to convince you of today is that probably more often and in more ways than you recognize, Satan is involved. And this is important because if you don't recognize it as Satan, you're very unlikely to resist Satan. I mean, in my mind, if I know Satan is, is trying to distract and dishearten me, then I know I'm going to push up against that. I'm going to do everything I can to remain focused and, and to take heart. And so that's why we need to recognize Satan's schemes. And so I'm just going to list a few of these. I want the weight of evidence to be there just for you to see all these different ways. I'm not going to give you every verse. It would, just, it would take me uh, too long to put those all on the screen. But one thing Satan can do is cause physical hardship. Physical hardship. Um, we Again, I talked about Job, but part of his affliction, I mean, he had to go to God and ask permission to afflict Job, but God gave permission. And one of the things he did was he brought loathsome boils on Job. Physical hardship. We see this happen with Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul says, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. You say, okay, well, that's Job and that's Paul, but Satan's not going to attack me physically, not going to attack my health or, or cause me physical pain. Like, who, who am I that he would bother? Well, I, I want to show you uh, one more passage uh, in, in Luke 13. I want to I read this to you. Luke 13, 11, and then I'll, I'll jump to verse 16. It says this, And behold, there was a woman who had, who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. 
she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So that's a description of the, just this random unnamed lady. Then verse uh, 16, Jesus has now healed her. The Pharisees get mad at him for healing her because it was the Sabbath day. And so this is what, how Jesus responds. He said, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? I mean, this is, this is a backache. That, 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 or maybe, maybe like a, a distortion of her spine. This lady is bent over by Satan. She has a disabling spirit. And, and Jesus says she has been bound these 18 years by Satan. And again, this is someone that we know nothing about other than this. She's a lady. She's a, uh, it says a, a daughter of Abraham, so she's an Israelite. But that's all we know about her. And yet Satan had been afflicting her for these 18 years with physical hardship. And so I, I, I'm kind of going to do this with all of them. Right? I won't mention it every single time. But have you ever considered that your physical pain, your failing health, may actually be a scheme of Satan to distract you, to dishearten you, to keep you from doing what you ought to do? Three examples I, I just gave you. Job, Paul, this woman that Satan is trying to distract, to discourage, dishearten through physical hardship. Okay, next one I want to show you. Relational trouble. Um, I, have, I have so many examples of things. I, I, I'll try to be quick here. I see this happen first in the Garden of Eden, right? Satan comes, he tempts, they give in, and what's the, the very first thing that happens? Well, they, they hide themselves, but when God comes asking, hey, did you, did you eat of what I told you not to, to eat? Adam immediately says, that woman <laughs> whom you gave me. He blames Eve. So like he's just, Satan has created this relational rift with our first parent right there. Uh, th again, I have, I have so many uh, examples of this. Um, I think of Job and his friends. They were good friends. They, they ate and drank together. They're, they're happy. And then now his friends are judging him and, and verbally assaulting him. They basically become his enemies. This happened between King Saul and David. You remember King Saul would have evil spirits come upon him. David would even play the harp to, to make the, the, the evil spirits go away. But, I mean, there were times that Saul literally threw a spear at David, that, that, that Saul would be hunting David. And, and, I mean, it just messed up everything between Saul and David and, and uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. And there was just all this unrest, this relational trouble because of evil spirits. And not only that, not only can Satan cause relational trouble and relational rifts, but then he wants to exploit that. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do, do you see what's going on there? Like Satan can, can be behind seeking to cause these relational rifts. And then when it happens, he wants us to stay there. He wants bitterness to take root. He wants us to, to split. Because again, you think about the antelope, right? And, and, and the, the, um, the lion is prowling. 
one of the most common things they do is if, if one strays away from the pack, that's the one they're going to pounce on. Divide and conquer. It's one of the, the oldest military tactics. And that's what Satan does with us. He causes relational trouble, then he exploits that relational trouble. He's trying to distract us. He's trying to dishearten us. He's trying to, 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 to make us act like fools, which is what we do when we're angry, right? Relational trouble could be Satan. Again, my, my own flesh can cause enough trouble in my marriage and <laughs> friendships and family, uh, but Satan wants to cause those, cause circumstances that bring relational trouble and then exploit that. Next one, financial struggle. Again, I'm just not, not going to stay here long, but Job is a great example. His, his ox, his donkeys, his servants are all wiped out in one instance by a band of robbers, and then fire swallows up his sheep. And so Job's livelihood was gone in an instant, and this was all a scheme of Satan, as we know about from the book of Job, to dishearten, to, to, to get Job to dishonor God rather than glorify God. So financial struggles could be Satan putting pressure on you. The next thing I want to show you is debilitating guilt. Debilitating guilt. That is, we sin, and so Satan wants to say, wants to tell us, hey, you sinned, and so now you're no longer lovable, acceptable, or usable by God. I see this in, in Luke 22, uh, verses 31 and following. Jesus says this to, to Peter, also called Simon. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. So I'll keep going. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, that's when you have been restored, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Oh, Peter. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three, deny three times that you know me. So, so Jesus says, just, just like happened with Job, Satan has asked to sift Peter like wheat to cause his faith to fail. Now, rather than, like, we, we don't know what's going on in the heavenly courts on all this thing with Satan asking, demanding to, to sift him like wheat. But rather than God saying, no, you can't do anything to Peter, Jesus just says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So you think about what, what happens. Uh, Terry preached on this relatively uh, recently. What, what happens after this? Well, Peter does deny Jesus three times. When that rooster crows, he is struck to the heart. He realizes that he is forsaken God the Son, the Savior of the world. And so it seems like the way Satan attacks him is trying to say, you're no longer worthy to be a fisher of men. You're no longer worthy to be a disciple of Jesus. And so the next time we see Peter, what's he doing? He's back out on the lake. He's back out there doing his old job. It takes the resurrected Jesus appearing to him and restoring him for his faith to be restored and then he does strengthen the brothers and so again I, I could look at so many other examples of this in the bible but 
Satan wants to use debilitating guilt in your life. Satan wants you to believe that your righteousness, that your usefulness is, is dependent on you. He wants you to believe that you somehow earn being usable by God rather than inheriting it by faith in Jesus Christ. This is something Satan often does. And I'll tell you, Satan has often done this with me. <laughs> Argument on the drive to church never makes me feel great when I get up here to preach. Like, I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just a joke. And, but that's Satan. That's what Satan's wanting to do. He wants to cause that relational rift, and then he wants to use debilitating guilt to dishearten, to distract, to all these things. Okay, you get the idea. Next, disappointment. You ever t- face disappointment? All the time. 1 Thessalonians two seventeen and 18, Paul says this, uh, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you, Thessalonians, to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. Do you think he wants to see them? Do you think he wants to visit? But listen to what he said. It says here, but Satan hindered us. I mean, Paul just over and over we endeavored all the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, we're trying so hard because we have great love for you, because we want to serve you, we want to strengthen your faith. We are going to do this. We're pushing, but Satan hindered us. Satan caused that disappointment. I'll tell you, being a first-time pastor, I'm six years in at the moment, and having COVID during my first time pastorate and some of the trials that we have faced here, we, we faced some pretty big levels of disappointment. I'm like, man, I really thought that I'd be doing a lot better than this. You know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to serve the Lord, and this is how it goes. You know, I mean, this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to discourage, dishearten with these disappointments. It's another scheme of Satan. And I'll, I'll, I'll end on this one uh, of this list. Discontentment. Discontentment. Uh, I just thought of this one because of, again, Genesis 3. The very first time Satan tempts them, this is, this is what happens. Genesis 3, verses 4 to 6. But the serpent said to the woman, so Satan says to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit of the knowledge of Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look at how Eve responds. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. The only tree they couldn't eat from. God had filled the Garden of Eden. Eden, by the way, uh, is just another word for paradise. Like that, that's a, it's a synonym uh, in Hebrew. She's literally in paradise, can eat of any tree uh, of the garden. But there's this one tree they're not allowed to eat from. So she, 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 she sees it, she says, it, it looks good. She says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. 
I mean, she has every reason to be overflowing with thankfulness and contentment in God and in the situation God has put her in. Yet she sees that one tree. It's a delight to the eyes, it's good for food, and that it was to be desired to make one wise. Satan says you'll be like God. And so Eve was made, not made, but (laughs) Eve was tempted to be discontent with the situation God had put her in. And, And we all know how things went from there. She eats, she gives to Adam, he eats, and the fall occurred. These are, again, just a small listing. I had way more. I probably had three times that many just listed um, in in, in my, my notes of ways that Satan does want to discourage, distract, dishearten us, to keep us from doing what we ought to do, to keep us from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, to keep us from walking in obedience, to keep us from worshiping and enjoying God. And so I I just say to you again, if these things happen in your life, recognize Satan's schemes. It very well may be that Satan is trying to do one of these things to you, that he has brought these things upon you to keep you from doing what you ought to do. Keep you from living and leveraging your life for the glory of God. I just, I just wanted to make that as practical as possible for you to say, yeah, I do experience th- those things. And yeah, those things seem to happen right when I'm like starting to gain a little momentum. Those things start to happen right when I'm you know, finally sharing the gospel with this person. Then all of a sudden, physical hardship, all of a sudden discontentment. Yeah, it's, uh, again, Satan isn't behind everything. But it's very possible that even little you, just like that little old lady, that, God, that Satan is afflicting you, oppressing you. But, again, as, as we've seen, that's not where we stay. Yes, Satan has great power, but God has a great word for us. And so here, here's what I want to show you today. The next thing we need to do regard spiritual oppression regard oppression as opportunity when satan is oppressing you and in any number of ways what we're going to see is it is actually a wonderful opportunity for god's grace in your life remember peter said uh there in in, in verse 9 resist him firm in your Faith. Well, faith in what? Faith in yourself? No. Faith in God? Yes. Faith in Jesus? Of course. But even more specifically than that, in in this context of being attacked by Satan, what we specifically need to do is this. We need to trust that for those who are Christians and those we're Christians and resist Satan, right? Because that's a command. Resist him, firm in your faith, that those who resist him, God will take that oppression and turn it into an opportunity. I'm, I'm going to show you, again, examples of this, but, but we, need, we need to just kind of know what's going on here. Though, though Satan 
intends to make you spiritually weak, God can turn that into your strength. Though Satan wants to make you miserable, God can actually make that an amazing opportunity for deep abiding joy. Though Satan wants to keep you from glorifying God, God can make it to where you glorify him all the more through the oppression than you would have had the satanic oppression not happened. So this is what I want to show you, and this is what needs to happen because we resist him firm in our faith. So, I mean, you can't take a swing at Satan, right? He, he, he's spirit. We don't fight against flesh and blood. And so we need a spiritual response to Satan. This is, this is faith. This is something we believe. This is something we cling to. And when we believe it, when we cling to these things, we respond the right way. We resist him firm in our faith. This is what happens. And so I want to show you four ways, again, this isn't exhaustive, but four ways that God, that God turns Satan's opposition into opportunities. And these are just from 1 Peter that, that I want to show you. So first, how, how it can be an opportunity. First, it can be an opportunity to experience God's power. Satan oppressing you can be an amazing opportunity to experience God's power. We see this in, in verse 6 of our passage. Humble your, yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. What's the point? Well, he's about to say the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, and so, so he's powerful, he's ferocious, he's vicious, but God is mighty. We see this again in, in verse 11. To him, God, be the dominion forever and ever. That means God is in charge. Though, though Satan may be the prince of the power of the air, though he may have a great deal of authority here on earth, God has far more authority over him even. This should actually be very, like, just unbelievably uh, encouraging for us to know that Satan can do nothing without God's permission. And even when God does allow Satan to do things, he has power over him to prevail. We see this even in, in verse 10, again, of our, of our passage. It says, and after you have suffered a little while, so it's just talked about resisting and firming your faith, uh, knowing that the same kinds of suffering have been experienced. Anyway, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So, so God will have victory over what Satan is trying to do in your life if you resist him, firm in your faith. Like God, God will have that victory over him. And what I want to show you is not only will God have the victory over him, but this will be a personal experience of God's power. I want you to notice the two words on, on the screen that I underlined. You have there <clears throat> the, the God of all grace. So it's already mentioned God who is going to do something. But then down, down lower it says, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That, that word himself, that's, that's called a reflexive pronoun. 
It's reflexive, meaning it was already mentioned who was going to do it. And then now it's saying himself. And the whole point is to add intensity to the fact that it will be personally done by God. God will himself restore, confirm, establish, strengthen you. This is going to be God doing it. You will be experiencing God's power when you have victory over Satan. You will know in that moment when you see God have power over, when you see him work these things together for good, you will know that God was with you the whole time and was strengthening you the whole time. You will experience God's power in a personal way. That's the idea of this reflexive pronoun. God himself will do these things. This is incredible. We get to experience God's power in a personal, intimate way. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you experienced God's power in a personal, intimate way? I, I mention that only because, you know, we're, we're scared, maybe, of, of satanic oppression, and that can be enough to say, okay, I don't even want to be sharing the gospel. I don't even want to be, you know, trying to train up disciples uh, who, who make more disciples. Like, I don't want to do that because I don't want satanic oppression. But guess what? You do that, you miss out on experiencing the personal, intimate power of God. Miss out on a whole lot more than that, but that is one main thing you will miss out on. So we need to view, when Satan is oppressing us, we need to view it as an opportunity to experience God's glorious, almighty power. And, and again, just knowing, uh, Jesus said at the beginning of the Great Commission, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Then he ends with, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I mean, this, this just means like Satan can touch us. So I don't want to say he can't touch us. Satan can touch us, but he, he can't have victory over us when we're clinging to Christ. All right, second thing I want to show you. Satan's opposition is an opportunity to experience God's comfort. I, I love that these two things are together in the same passage. In fact, uh, just in the same sentence. Uh, we see this in verse uh, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Again, this is all dominion, all power, infinite strength in God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you. Then verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I, I think this is so interesting because often when we think about a, a mighty, a strong, powerful person, we think, okay, like I want them to come to the fight with me, but I probably am not going to get a hug and a good cry with them. Like this is not going to be the way it goes. And then on the other hand, when you think about a compassionate, kind, caring person, we think, okay, they may be a good shoulder to cry on, but, I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to fight, <laughs> you know. But with God, we have infinite, almighty, awesome, you just think of the sun bursting with heat. That's God's power, just like a glimpse, it's just a drop of his power right there. God's almighty power who also is the God of all comfort. He cares for you. He can bring a peace that surpasses all understanding. Again, I just want to show you these things uh, of how this works. 
Um, James uh, 4, 7, and 8 says this, resist the devil, right? Resist the devil, firm in your faith. That's what we're talking about in Peter. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then he goes on to say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The implication is, you know, you're resisting Satan and it's hard and suffering really does happen. And, and more and more suffering comes from it. But in that time, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, you got to understand this too. God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. There is no place in heaven and on earth, in the sea below. There's no place that God is not. But when it says he will draw near to you, this is again talking about a personal, intimate God drawing to you, coming to you, comforting you. We see this again in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I, I underlined it on the screen. You won't just have peace like, oh, it'll all work out. No, you will have the peace of God. And, and, and it will guard your heart and mind, and, and it will surpass understanding. What that means is, okay, this situation, this circumstance should make me be debilitatingly anxious. It should stop me in my tracks, but I have peace anyways. And so it surpasses understanding. You, you can't believe you have it, but you know where it comes from. You know that it's God's peace. The peace of God will be upon you. There's a thing, by the way, called phobia phobia, or no, phobophobia. You know what that is? The fear of being afraid. <laughs> I looked this up. Um, this is what I do in my sermon study. But yeah, phobophobia. This is someone who isn't actually in a circumstance that should cause fear yet, but they are afraid that something will happen that causes fear. I mean, it sounds crazy, but we all kind of do it. And so, again, we think about it with Satan of like, ah, oh, but I don't want the stress and the strain and the pain and the, the, the trouble and the fear that are going to come with Satan oppressing me. Like, I don't want that. Be freed from your phobophobia because it is actually an opportunity, not for, not for overwhelming, debilitating fear, but to experience the comfort and peace of God. This is what God is doing. He's taking spiritual oppression. And for those who will draw near to him, those who will um, get, cast their request on him, those who, who will humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, he will draw near to them. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will, will come upon their hearts. This is an amazing reality. It, it, is, it is personal. It's intimate. It's an experiencing the glory of of God, both his power and his comfort. This is amazing. It's an amazing opportunity. By the way, in all of this, I'm not saying we should be like, man, I hope Satan messes with me. I don't recommend that. We are not masochists. We don't desire pain. We don't desire trouble. What I'm telling you is you can expect opportunity to come through the oppression. Expect that God will bring, bring good out of something that really is bad. This is what we have to hope in. We resist him firm in our faith. I've just got two more of these that I, that I want to show you. 
These are all just really good news. Satan's opposition, oppression, is an opportunity for spiritual refinement. Isn't that a large part of what's meant there in verse 10? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, now to be fair, this, this could mean that you, you die. It could mean you're martyred. It could, it could mean anything like that. And that one day in glory, you will be uh, restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. But, but I don't think in context, that's all that it's talking about. I think this is also a here and now refinement that happens. I mean, I think this because I, I look at the way Peter put this uh, earlier in his letter, 1 Peter uh, 1, uh, 6 and 7. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, if necessary, I love that, by the way, it means there is a necessity to, to the trials. All right. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, per- that perishes, uh, though is tested by, fi- by fire, <clears throat> may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is talking about refining fire. And that's what we should even see Satan's oppression as. It is refining fire. I mean, I, I probably don't have to, but this is how you refine gold. Like, you can't just, like, pick the impurities out of gold. You, you, you put it in a pot, you set a, a fire underneath it, and it burns. And the harder you go, the more the dross, the impurities, separate from the gold and rise to the top to be scooped away by 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 God and this is this is with us is God makes our crud rise to the top think about it when when physical hardship comes when financial struggle comes when relational adversity comes when when all those things come what rises to the top does it feel like the best you you're real weird if that's if that's what happens like that's not what happens with me the worst me rises to the top when that that fire gets hot and it stinks like i I hate seeing that side of me but that's the whole point it it needs to rise it's it's in there it's in it didn't come from 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 nowhere like it it was in there it came from my heart but it, it needs to rise to the surface so that god can clean it away i could tell you way too many stories of how this has happened in my life how god has made my my pride my anger my greed all all these things rise to the top and and i say oh i didn't even know that was there until i got in this struggle but that was the opportunity for god's refining cleansing grace in my life to make me more like christ and less like jeff and that's a really good thing i I don't want to beat this into the ground but again james James 1, 2, and 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Satan means for you to look less like Christ because of what he brings in, but God actually makes you more like Christ through it. 
one final one I want to give you, and I just want you to see the irony of all this, the, the, the great, beautiful irony of what Satan's trying to accomplish, but what God accomplishes through it. Satan's oppression is an opportunity for strengthened witness. He's trying to ruin your witness. He's trying to, to, to keep you from spreading the glory and gospel of Jesus. And yet Satan actually strengthens it. It backfires. I see this uh, in, in a couple places, but I'll show you first. Um, in, in First Peter, what we're in right now, 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, may or may not be Satan-influenced speaking against you as evildoers, but either way, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, again, 1 Peter 3, uh, 14 and 16, 2, 2 16, uh, he says this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, again, it doesn't say because the devil caused it, it doesn't say he didn't cause it. If you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, listen to this, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. There's nothing impressive about having joy and peace and hope when times are good. Anyone can do that. That takes no supernatural ability at all. But what about when you are suffering for righteousness sake? You are living the right way and you are receiving bad because of living in a way that pleases God. But it says there, you, you honor Christ the Lord as holy. So, so you say, okay, I'm going to respond faithfully. And it says, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. One of the greatest things that gives your witness credibility is faithfulness in trial, joy in trial, hope in the midst of of trial to say yes this situation stinks i wish i were not receiving bad for the good i'm doing i don't like that but i've got joy anyway i've got hope i've got peace anyway and people see that and they say where in the world does that come from i i don't have that they think they, they think when my circumstances go bad certainly uh when 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 you know uh, anyways, when, when I'm doing something good and I receive bad in return, that, that does not make me respond well. Where could that be come, coming from? And so you, you always be ready. Be ready for it. Be prepared to make a defense because they will see, they will ask about the hope that is within you. I've had it. I've heard a number of you tell me stories of that happening in your lives. Other people seeing the peace and the hope and the joy you have in the midst of trials, and it creates a greater opportunity for witness, to, to, to share and confirm and give credibility to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so again, we see this amazing irony. Satan really is 
trying to oppress you. He, he prowls around like a roaring lion. But if we will recognize Satan's schemes and then regard his oppression as an opportunity and we, we resist firm in that faith, then, then we can have all those good things happen. We get to experience in a personal, intimate way God's power. We get to experience his comfort. Remember what Satan's trying to do? He's trying to push us away from God. But we actually draw nearer to him and God draws near to us and we experience him in a newer, greater, more wonderful way. Satan wants to make us act like heathens. To, to say, you know what, it's just not worth living for Jesus if this is how I'm going to, to be treated. But it actually ends up refining us, making us more like Christ, living a life that is more pleasing in his sight. And to top it all off, Satan wants to distract us, to keep us from sharing the gospel of Jesus, to make us fear it. And yet it actually strengthens our witness through Satan oppressing us. I mean, what, what more can we say than what Peter said at the end there? You see in verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he may exalt you. Like you can bank on it. Because God is so much greater. I mean, again, he who is in you really is greater than he who is in the world. And uh, Romans 8, 28 even applies to spiritual opposition. He will work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You can cling to that. Friends, I'm not trying to sell you cotton candy to say, like, it's going to be easy. It's going to be fun. You should look forward to uh spiritual opposition and oppression like it won't it'll be hard like I, and my, my heart hurts for you knowing the pain you and i will experience but we can have deep hope and joy knowing that god will use it as wonderful opportunities do you want to experience god's power do you want to experience his comfort do you want to be more like christ do you want your witness to be strengthened and resist Satan firm in your faith. There, there is a command. I, I want you to remember that. There is a command. Like when Satan oppresses, we don't just crumble. No, we, we resist him, trusting that God is going to turn it all into good, both for our good, the good of others, and his supreme glory. Let's pray. Father God, we are, again, just so thankful today that that though we are thinking about a scary, unpleasant reality that Satan really is out there and, and his demons and that they really do want to hurt us and harm us and steal and kill and destroy, that even while thinking about this topic, we see your glory shine in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome your light and it never will. We are so thankful that you have transferred us into the kingdom of light. We are members of it and we will never be moved out of it. So Lord, help us to walk as children of that light, Lord. To walk in, 
and, and fullness of faith in you that, that Satan cannot overcome the good you have planned for us. God, help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand that at the proper time you may exalt us. God, help us to cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. God, help us to let trials and suffering have its full effect that we may be made by you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, more like your son, Jesus Christ. And God, may we never fear sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we never be ashamed because we know that by your grace, by your power, it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, we want our lives to matter for your glory. We want your name to be known because we are sharing it. So God, help us to see Satan's schemes. Very normal distractions, very normal heartache that Satan wants to use to draw us away from you and away from working for your glory. God, help us to resist. I know there may be some in this room today that right now you can say, I know now what Satan is trying to do through these very normal, discouraging circumstances, what, what he's trying to do. And, and I, I do, I want to resist him firm in, in, in the faith. I don't enjoy the pain of this, but I know God is going to do something amazing through it. Lord, Lord, help them even now to have that, that peace in you as they, they cast their anxieties on you, Lord. Help them to bring their fears, their cares to you, God, that they may begin to experience your comfort and to, and to continue in the fight. Lord, I do pray that you would be glorified in all of this. And Lord, we look forward to the day when Satan will be in the lake of fire and we will be fully cleansed. Until then, Lord, help us to fight. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.